1: Forget the crap online and listen to Science verses. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify
2: soon. Listener discretion is advised. This episode features discussions of murder, medical malpractice, and assault that may be upsetting. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13. A scarred psyche, extraordinary selfishness, and authority over patients have been the very makings of many medical murderers, especially those who work in hospitals. In these instances, colleagues who often suspect foul play or a dangerous personality in their hospital speak up and help bring a criminal to justice. Unfortunately, the nurses at Niels Hugel's hospital kept silent even after they realized something was terribly wrong. The result was one of the largest serial killing sprees in history, begging the question, which is the greater culprit? Evil or apathy? This is Medical Murders, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every year, thousands of medical students take the Hippocratic Oath. It boils down to, do no harm. But a closer look reveals a phrase much more interesting. I must not play at God. However, some doctors break that oath. They choose to play God with their patients, deciding who lives and who dies. Each week on medical murders, we'll investigate those who decided to kill. We'll explore the specifics of how they operate, not just on their patients, but within their own minds, examining the psychology and neurology behind heartless medical killers. I'm Alistair Murdon, and I'm joined by Dr. David Kipper, MD.
0: Hello everyone, I'm Dr. Kipper, and I'm here to assist Alistair with some medical insight into our case of Niels Hugel, a healthcare professional
2: who didn't realize there was no I in nurse. You can find episodes of Medical Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Medical Murders for free on Spotify, just open the app and type medical murders in the search bar. This episode, we're discussing nurse Niels Hugel, thought to be the most prolific serial killer to strike Germany since World War II. From 2000 to 2005, Hügel killed at least 87 patients in two German hospitals. But some believe he's claimed as many as 300 lives. While the exact number remains elusive, one thing that doesn't is Hügel's motive. Bolstered by insecurity, Niels Hügel took any means necessary to sate his hero complex, even when it meant playing the villain too. Today, we'll explore how Hoogl went from lethal nurse to incarcerated murderer and why it took years for someone to speak up. All this and more coming up. Stay with us. On an ordinary day in the early 2000s, a nurse entered the intensive care unit at the Oldenburg clinic. Recently, he'd noticed that there had been an uptick in patient fatalities, a sad and perplexing fact he wasn't able to explain. As he observed a sick patient, he noted something odd and had a sudden revelation. He left the room in search of a colleague. He explained his ill patient had elevated levels of potassium in his blood, and the high potassium reading could have only been the result of an unauthorized injection. Curious, the other nurse checked the roster to see who had been with the patient most recently. They shuddered at the name. Niels Hugel, of course. Niels Hugel had been around one too many cardiac arrests for them to write it off as coincidence. But unfortunately, after flagging the issue, no further action was taken. The mistake would result in the deaths of countless more victims. Niels Hugel had always aspired to the medical field. Growing up in West Germany in the 1980s, he drew career inspiration from his grandmother and father, who were both nurses. At a young age, Hugel decided to follow in their footsteps. Unlike many killers, Hugel seemed to have a positive relationship with his parents and family. All accounts of his childhood seemed to suggest that it was happy and structured. Hugel later referred to it as protected, which leaves much for debate about what exactly turned him villainous. He certainly started off on track for success in the family trade, By 1999, 22-year-old Hügel was working as a nurse at a medical clinic in Oldenburg, Germany. Here, he quickly became renowned as a nurse who excelled in life-or-death situations. The head of heart surgery at Oldenburg described Hügel as possessing above-average competency. But he also suggested that Hügel was perhaps overly zealous in his desire to care for the more critically ill patients. More than that, Hugel was said to be unusually affected by the deaths of his patients, appearing at times completely distraught over their passing. Still, less experienced doctors said they were thankful to have Hoogle around as the young nurse could be relied upon when cases turned dire. Hugel was so good in emergency situations, in fact, that he quickly developed a reputation as resuscitation Rambo, a medical professional with a profound power to revive the dying. His co-workers even made him a necklace out of injection tubes, which Hugol proudly wore. Living up to his Rambo nickname, Hugol sometimes pushed other staff aside to revive a patient he felt needed his unique expertise.
0: Different situations call for different treatments and different expertise, but there's no way a young nurse like Google could have been an expert at all of them. When a patient's in critical condition, the hospital staff responds by announcing a code blue. Code blues are called during emergency health situations, like when someone goes into cardiac or respiratory arrest. Anyone on staff who finds a patient in critical condition will announce a code blue, and this is done by hitting a button in their room or by calling the hospital operator. Code blues then alert crash teams, which are composed of doctors and nurses trained in emergency resuscitation. Specifically, they're made up of all available doctors, nurses, respiratory therapists, anesthesiologists, and doctors in training if it's a teaching hospital. In this way, reviving a critical patient is a team effort involving different specialists, and it's impossible for one individual nurse, like Google to adequately resuscitate a dying patient. During a code blue, crash teams manage a patient's airway and breathing by using an Ambu bag, which is a mask that helps temporarily support ventilation. The team also provides chest compressions to manually pump the heart to maintain blood delivery to the rest of the body. For patients without a pulse, doctors may use a defibrillator to electrically shock the heart into revival. There are also IV fluids used in Code Blues to restore electrolyte imbalances, along with emergency medications to stimulate heart activity like epinephrine, amiodarone, lidocaine, and calcium chloride. In regard to Hugel's resuscitation efforts, he seemed to really enjoy his perceived respect he wanted from his colleagues. From my experience, reviving people in these critical situations was not a common way for a nurse to impress their fellow workers. In these life-and-death situations, healthcare professionals aren't thinking about their own reputations. Instead, they're just reacting with clinical vigilance to a life-threatening situation.
2: Hugel didn't seem able to put his ego aside, and there were many instances in which patients died as he tried to reanimate them. Some nurses thought Hugel was brave for his attempts to save any dying patient. Others felt that Hugel's confidence in his ability to revive may have been unfounded. His success rate was nowhere near 100%. Eventually, the resuscitation Rambo nickname flipped from praising a hero to mocking a bad luck charm. But this moniker was merely a colleague-to-colleague joke. If he didn't try to save every patient, he wouldn't see so many deaths. What hospital staff didn't yet realize, however, was that Hugel was doing far more than failing at resuscitation. He'd been intentionally giving his patients overdoses of drugs in order to put them into cardiac arrest. Then, he could swoop in and valiantly aid in their emergency recovery. Once Hoogle pulled off the dangerous stunt, he'd bask in the admiration and praise from his colleagues. The rush of saving someone's life was thrilling for him, maybe even addictive, which only compelled him to keep imperiling his patients. He didn't seem to realize that every compulsion has its consequences. Many of those he intentionally put into cardiac arrest did not survive. The first person killed by Hugel appears to have died in February 2000, when Hugel was 23 years old. Unfortunately, because these crimes happened in Germany, a country with strict privacy laws, details about the victims are thin. But we do know that Hugel injected unlucky patients with an overdose of either ajmaline, amiodarone, or sotalol. They likely alternated depending on what Hugel could get. Asmaline is used diagnostically
0: to detect a rare heart rhythm disorder known as the Brugata syndrome. This diagnostic test is known as the Asmaline Challenge, and if someone has the syndrome, the ST segments on their EKG, which are normally flat lines between heartbeats, will be unusually elevated. Although it's been now replaced by a better drug called prajmaline, asmaline is used to slow and lengthen the heart's refractory period, which is the interval of time between heartbeats. It does this by interfering with sodium and potassium channels. Amiodarone, like asmaline, is an antiarrhythmic agent that's used to treat and prevent irregular heart rhythms. It also works by blocking the potassium channels, which slows down nerve activity in the heart's muscles. Sotalol, on the other hand, is a medication known as a beta blocker. Beta blockers inhibit the release of stress hormones, like adrenaline and noradrenaline, which excite the nervous system. In this way, Sotalol works by muting the heart's response to specific nerve impulses, which causes it to slow down its heart rate and increase the blood supply to the rest of the body. If any of these medications are doled out improperly, cardiac emergencies will likely follow. Too much of any one of these drugs could cause a heart to stop beating or induce bradycardia, which is an abnormally slow and often lethal heart rate. Because amiodarone, sotalol, and asmaline are commonly used in hospitals, they're readily available to doctors and nurses. This easy access, combined with the potential cardiac danger these drugs present, probably made using them a no brainer for Hugel.
2: All Hugel had to account for was the actual act of injection, which didn't prove difficult. The patients trusted him, and Hugel often preyed on those already in critical condition. Beyond that, it appears that Hugel selected his victims at random. Some of them were even on the road to recovery when they fell victim to his schemes. This, in particular, turned Hugel's colleagues skeptical. It was one thing when those dying were already at a high risk of losing their lives. But when healthy patients made a sudden turn for the worse, something was up. So when a colleague observed a high potassium level in a patient's blood, hours after Niels Hugel had tended to the man, it wasn't a giant leap to wonder about Hügel's intentions. Hügel's other colleagues began to question them too, even noting amongst each other that their distrust of Hügel was rising. But it wasn't their job to monitor Hügel, so, by and large, they minded their own affairs. In fact, no one at the hospital was moved to take any precautions. If they were wrong, everyone involved would look bad. But while they waited for more damning evidence, Niels Hugol kept killing. Coming up, Hugel's killing spree leads him to new hunting grounds.
1: The internet. What would we do without it? So much information, so little time. And yet, with all the answers available online, there still lie scores of deep, dark, spooky secrets mysteries yet to be solved until now this isn't clickbait this is our exclusive new podcast internet urban legends i'm loey your evidence expert and i'm eleanor the self-proclaimed skeptic together we're the gruesome twosome sleuths in search of the weirdest stories on the web every tuesday we investigate the internet's creepiest conundrums covering each conspiracy theory and combing through every clue to separate hoax from haunt Whether it's the video sure to make you lose your appetite, Blank Room Soup. Or every kid's worst nightmare, the terrifying truth behind Disney's deaths. Or every parent's worst nightmare, social media's Momo Challenge. Each episode of Internet Urban Legends is chock full of disturbing details which are either truly demented or ripe for debunking. And no matter our conclusion, we're sure to be left scared half to death. So won't you join us? follow our new Spotify original from ParCast, Internet Urban Legends. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price Priceline.
2: Now back to the story. In the early 2000s, 24-year-old Niels Hugel worked as a nurse in the intensive care unit at a clinic in Oldenburg, Germany. There. He quickly developed a reputation for fearlessly resuscitating patients who had slipped into critical condition. Coworkers even called him Resuscitation Rambo. But after noting the unusually high number of deaths during Hugel's shifts, some of his co-workers began to suspect that he was somehow responsible. And yet, despite their suspicions, Hugel's co-workers chose to remain silent. They didn't make a report to their superiors because they feared they would be reprimanded or felt that it was none of their business. The culture at the Oldenburg clinic was not conducive to speaking out.
0: Hospitals in the US take monitoring and reporting adverse events very seriously. This is because healthcare facilities have medical legal responsibilities that demand malpractice to be weeded out immediately when it's discovered. Hospitals and medical schools instill a sense of culpability in doctors and their supporting medical professionals and dictates that keeping silent about any observed impropriety makes them also liable. With careful oversight, hospitals will minimize the risk of malpractice, but physicians and staff personally benefit from this increased surveillance to optimize patient care. However, despite this heightened awareness, doctors, nurses, and other staff can certainly make mistakes. And unfortunately, hospitals are sometimes more concerned about protecting themselves and their patients. I've personally never seen anything that made me need to speak out, but a colleague of mine, working as a hospital intern, once told me a story that has some relevance here. This doctor was working in an ICU rotation when a young man in his 30s was rushed into the unit after a routine tonsillectomy. During his procedure, he went into a coma and didn't wake up for about eight months. It turns out that this coma was a result of a kink in the patient's oxygen tube at the start of the procedure, which prevented oxygen delivery to his brain, leaving him almost immediately comatose. Apparently, everyone on its treatment team knew why this happened, and at a time when there was a rise in medical malpractice cases, medical professionals were fearful of being sued, and the hospital didn't initially accept liability. Thankfully, I heard the patient recovered, but this story demonstrates that even if people don't speak up, there can be very serious consequences.
2: It seemed the popular American phrase, if you see something, say something, was not part of the lexicon at Germany's Oldenburg clinic. Instead, the guiding principle seemed to be, keep your head down and prioritize the facility's reputation. As the weeks turned into months, the staff's suspicions about Hügel only grew. Yet, throughout 2000 and much of 2001, no one, confronted him. It wasn't until a single weekend, in which there were reportedly 14 resuscitations and 5 deaths surrounding Hugel's shift, that hospital executives took notable action. But it wasn't what you'd expect. Apparently the higher-ups were bothered by Hugel's repeated efforts to show off during health emergencies, thinking this was why he'd been present for so many deaths. His search for glory was getting in the way. So, they transferred him from the intensive care cardiac ward to the anesthesiology unit. And that was that. No further inquiry. Hugel apparently didn't pick up on the fact that he'd aroused suspicion or didn't care. A doctor who worked with him quickly observed that Hugel had selfish motives and continued to seek the spotlight as a saviour, but before anything else could be done, Hügel quit his job. One might assume that Oldenburg's administrators would, at the very least, warn other hospitals about Hügel's attention-seeking ways. Instead, they wrote him a glowing recommendation. It described him as a conscientious, independent worker who kept his cool under pressure. There was no mention of the fact that Hügel had essentially been forced out of his position at their clinic. It also failed to mention that patient deaths tended to spike when Hügel was on duty. Armed with a misleading letter of praise, Niels Hügel easily found a new job. He was offered a nursing position in the intensive care unit of a hospital in Delmenhorst, a suburb of Bremen, Germany. Off Hügel went on the road to more murders, and while his colleagues looked on with a wary eye, none bothered to warn the staff at Delmenhorst about Hügel's habits. After all, that would mean making a serious allegation against Hügel, endangering the future success of the entire clinic. Unchecked, Hügel showed no hesitation He resumed killing patients within just a few months of starting his new job at the Delmenhorst Hospital. By this point, he already had dozens of murders under his belt. Hugel used the same method as he had in Oldenburg, injecting patients with heart medications in order to put them into cardiac arrest so he could save them. In addition to drugs like Sotalol and Ajmaline, Hügel had also been injecting patients with potassium chloride and the anesthetic lidocaine. These drugs are slightly different than Sotalol and Ajmaline, but their impact on
0: the heart, when used incorrectly, is dangerous. Potassium chloride is a salt made of potassium and chlorine, and it's often used medicinally to treat hypokalemia or low potassium in the blood. It can also be used in emergency situations too for patients dying from heart failure to help increase the heart's delivery of oxygen throughout the body. However, it needs to be administered very precisely and our body's normal potassium levels allow our cells, nerves and organs to function properly. A decrease in potassium can cause symptoms like weakness, fatigue, low blood pressure and constipation, while an increase can cause rapid heart rate, high blood pressure, vomiting and chest pain. If potassium in the blood rises or plummets dramatically enough, we start to see heart problems like dangerous arrhythmias. Lidocaine is a local anesthetic that's used to numb the skin and subcutaneous tissues, and it does this by inhibiting nerves from delivering pain signals to the brain. However, lidocaine is also used intravenously as an antiarrhythmic to treat irregular heartbeats. Because of its numbing effect, lidocaine anesthetizes the nerves responsible for the electrical activity in the heart. This in turn slows the contraction of the heart's muscles, which can help correct a life-threatening arrhythmia. On its own, too much lidocaine can slow the heart rate enough to kill someone. If a patient was simultaneously overdosed with potassium chloride and lidocaine, they would likely die from the combination of a bradycardia and an arrhythmia. These drugs are typically more available to nurses than sodalol and asmaline. As such, Alistair, Hugel probably saw these medications as
2: suitable and convenient alternatives. No matter the drugs he used, Nurse Hugel had the same intent to put patients in critical condition so he could heroically attempt to resuscitate them. The only thing that changed was the hospital itself. During Hugel's tenure at the Delmenhorst Hospital, the number of deaths in the intensive care unit increased from about 5% to 10%. One nurse who worried Hugel might have something to do with that spike relayed their suspicions to a superior. Nothing happened, no one looked into it, no one confronted Hügel. So, as he'd done at Oldenburg, Niels Hügel kept on killing. In June 2005, a nurse referred to as Renata T stumbled upon Hügel injecting azimeline into a lung cancer patient. Due to Germany's privacy laws, the nurse's last name was not made public. But we do know Renata witnessed Niels Hugel giving a patient a dangerous injection of Ajmaline.
0: Ajmaline should not have been given to a patient who showed no signs of a dangerous irregular heartbeat. Ajmaline lengthens and slows the interval between heartbeats, known as a refractory period. It does this by working on the electrolytes, sodium and potassium, which influence the heart's electrical system. If someone without an arrhythmia is given asmaline, it could cause a dysrhythmia, which is a potentially deadly disturbance in an otherwise normal heartbeat. It could also cause a dangerous drop in blood pressure, respiratory depression, coma, and death from these effects. To a nurse like Renata, it would have been immediately apparent that Hoogle was doing something wrong if she could clearly identify the medication file and if she had an understanding of the patient's list of medications. Her quick reaction and recognition suggested she was an experienced nurse with a strong background in pharmacology.
2: Renata also noted that the patient's life support system had been switched off. To further confirm her suspicions, Renata looked in the trash bin, where she found four empty vials of medication. None of which had been prescribed to this patient. Renata could have looked the other way, as so many other hospital staff had done before. Instead, she took a sample of the patient's blood and had it tested. The results showed a dangerously high dose of heart medication. After Renata reported the results, the doctor and nurse in charge had a meeting to discuss the situation. But they did not immediately call the police or confront Hugel. Instead, they allowed him to finish his June 24th shift, which gave Hugel the chance to murder one last patient, 67-year-old Renata Ruper. It remains unclear whether Hügel realized nurse Renata had caught him in the act and targeted a patient with the same name or if the correlation is mere coincidence. Either way, a senior physician finally looked at the death records and the medications administered by Hügel and called the police. Hügel was soon arrested and he was charged with attempted murder. During his trial, Hügel swore on his daughter's life that he had not killed anyone. Evidence that emerged during the case indicated otherwise, making it clear Niels Hügel had killed several people. Still, he was only tried for attempted murder, and no further investigation was immediately launched. Police were apparently infected by the same lethargy as hospital staff, No one seemed to care that Niels Hugel might have killed dozens of people. They'd see if he was found guilty of a single attempted murder and then conduct a deeper search. In the meantime, the trial dragged on. In 2008, 31 year old Niels Hugel was sentenced to seven and a half years in prison for attempted murder. After this, it seems like the police were ready to set the case aside, despite evidence of murder. The thinking seems to be that the criminal was behind bars, so did it really matter? However, after Hugel's attempted murder conviction, a woman approached the police. She was the daughter of one of Hugel's patients who had followed the first trial and came to believe that Hugel might have killed her mother. She wanted justice for her family and others like her. Finally, police looked into the allegations and a proper inquiry was launched. By February 2015, there was enough evidence to convict 38-year-old Niels Hoogl of two murders and two more attempted murders. Surprisingly, Hugel acknowledged his guilt thinking this would get him off with a lighter sentence. But if anything, it only motivated law enforcement to continue their scathing search of Hoogle's past. Finally, there was fuel on this fire. While the second trial was still underway, police had begun to find evidence for a great deal more than just two murders. Then, to the surprise of the court, Hügel confessed to a psychologist that he'd administered 90 unauthorized injections, 30 of which were fatal. He said he was fully responsible for the deaths but denied killing anyone else. By this point, his statements were as good as worthless, since he had repeatedly lied to the court in prior years. The more investigators looked into Hugel, however, the more they came to realize that he could have been responsible for dozens, perhaps even hundreds, of deaths. Investigators performed over a 100 toxicology tests and perused some 500 patient files. Over 130 bodies were exhumed in Germany, Poland, and Turkey. Oldenburg's chief of police, Johann Quemer, Told reporters, the realization of what we were able to learn is horrifying. It defies any scope of the imagination. The investigation also raised disconcerting questions. How was Hugel able to keep killing for so long? Why did no one speak up? What kept these crimes from coming to light during the first investigation? The only way to answer them? A third. Criminal trial. Coming up, Niels Hugel goes on trial for the third time, bringing more alarming revelations. Now, back to the story. From 2000 to 2005, Niels Hugel killed dozens of patients while working as a nurse in two German hospitals. He was caught and convicted of attempted murder, then found guilty of two homicides almost a decade later. And it seemed like that was just the tip of the iceberg. In 2015, as investigators dove deeper into Hugel's crimes and realized his victims may have numbered in the hundreds, many wondered how he'd gone along unchecked. Only one of his former colleagues... Frank Lauchstermann, openly testified about having worked alongside Hügel. Lauchstermann suggested that a culture of looking away and keeping your head down made it much easier for Hügel to get away with murder. Dr. Karl Heinz Beiner, a prominent German neurologist and psychiatrist who researched serial killers in the medical profession for decades, pointed to the same culprit – minding one's own business. He attributed the willful ignorance of Hügel's evils to the hierarchical structure of hospitals and other bureaucracies in Germany. In these organizations, there is apparently an old Prussian saying, reporting sets you free, meaning it is enough to simply report a wrong to a superior. By this logic, once something has been said, a person doesn't necessarily need to take steps to correct it. Dr. Beiner warns against this thinking, as well as the prioritization of a facility's reputation over its patients. And thankfully, changes did come as a result of Niels Hugel’s astounding body count. In 2015, Lower Saxony's state parliament assembled a special committee on patient safety. Appointed members then drew up plans to place patient representatives in every hospital, while the Federal Health Minister looked into ways to implement precautionary measures to prevent another Niels Hugel. In addition, those who had failed to stop Hugel faced serious repercussions. Four of Hugel's former co workers at Delmenhorst. Two senior doctors, the head of the intensive care unit and one of his deputies, were accused of manslaughter through failure to render assistance. In other words, they were held liable for failing to take action despite suspecting that Hugel was killing patients. A similar investigation into neglect was launched at the first hospital Hugel worked at in Oldenburg. The Oldenburg chief of police, Johann Queme, said that many of the murders could have been prevented if those in charge at the clinic had been more proactive. They had known something was wrong, done nothing, and then failed to warn the doctors at Delmenhorst Hospital, even providing a letter of recommendation. As for Hugel himself, he went on trial for the third time in October 2018 at the age of 41. This time, the prosecution had done far more research into Hugel's past. They'd reviewed over 500 patient files and exhumed 134 bodies, testing them for traces of the medications Hugel had administered to his victims. The result? was hard evidence that 36 patients from Oldenburg and 64 from Delmenhorst had been killed by Hugel. The 100 potential victims' ages ranged from 34 to 96. Naturally, the news was shocking, but the presiding judge, Sebastian Buermann upheld solidarity for the victims and their families. He insisted on a moment of silence for those who died at Hügel's hands, hoping the trial would bring clarity for the tearful family members. During the trial, Hügel was questioned about his motivations. He explained that the clinical routine failed to challenge him. He also noted that after resuscitating a patient, he would feel good for days. Niels Hugel lacked the empathy required
0: to understand that he was working with real human beings. It's unusual for healthcare workers to identify as heroes when engaged in saving a patient's life. People typically become doctors to help others, and those who are on the front lines for resuscitation wouldn't be able to last in this work if helping wasn't their primary motivation. This desire to take care of patients can, however, sometimes affect doctors and nurses personally. It's not uncommon for healthcare professionals to develop close bonds with their patients. There have been plenty of times when I had to emotionally detach myself when dealing with sick or dying people. One recurring example is when I'm guiding someone through end-of-life care. It's not actually detaching or losing empathy. It's really about needing to become more objective in order to make difficult decisions. When someone's terminally ill, they can, in many states, access legal channels to end their own life. This is particularly hard as a doctor when you've had a close relationship with this patient for many years. Nevertheless, for their sake, you need to adopt a certain neutrality. There's also instances where doctors need to emotionally disengage due to abusive or mentally unstable patients. I've had experiences where patients were out of control, physically abusive, and morally out of line. As a person, your instinctual reaction is to fire back at them, correct their abuse, or to retreat. However, as a doctor, it's really important to keep bad patient behavior like this in perspective and to understand that it's often a mental illness, fear, or a coping mechanism that's causing their misconduct. On the whole, it's vital that those who work so hard to save the lives of others can remain impartial so as not to treat anyone with self-serving motives.
2: But a lack of empathy might have been more than just a vice for Hugel. It may point to a significant mental health condition. Dr. Beiner suggested that Hugel was motivated by narcissism and low self esteem. The doctor noted that when speaking to victims' families during the trial, Hugel displayed a complete lack of remorse. Another psychiatrist witness at the trial described Hugel as displaying traits of personality disorders, including an absence of guilt and empathy. Perhaps this lack of sensitivity for others made it easy for him to prioritize his own desire for importance and validation while working with patients. Arna Schmidt, who led an investigation into the killings from 2014 to 2017, said he believed Hugel had committed the murders because he loved playing God. Whatever the case, it's clear Niels Hugel was a danger to his patients. During his third trial, he made another shocking confession. He told the court that he had killed 43 people and added that it was possible he may have killed an additional 52. Together, that totals 95 victims. Of the murders he was charged with, Hugel denied only five. When further questioned about specific murders, he offered details confirming his guilt. For some, however, he only repeated the same answer. I have no memory, but I can't rule out a manipulation. Fugel told the court he was ashamed and felt endlessly sorry. While we can't say whether he felt any guilt, he did begin to hide his face behind an open folder. This unwillingness to be captured on camera may indicate that Hügel felt shame. It meant little for the victim's families, however, who would never again see their loved ones alive. Judge buermann remarked that Hügel's crimes were beyond comprehension. On June 6, 2019, a district court in Oldenburg sentenced 42-year-old Niels Hügel to a life sentence. Due to the severity and scope of the crimes, Judge Buerman noted that Hugel would not be eligible for early parole, and he would likely serve the rest of his days behind bars. Many who lost relatives under Hugel’s supervision had hoped that the trial would bring them some sense of closure. But afterward, many continued to live with unanswered questions. During the three years Niels Hugel worked at the Delmenhorst Hospital, 411 deaths occurred. 321 of those happened during or shortly after his shifts. How many were killed by Hugel remains unknown. Only the bodies which could be exhumed and were found with traces of medications used to treat irregular heart rhythms were officially declared victims. Several perhaps dozens of Hoogle's victims were cremated before they could be examined. Investigators had suggested that Hugel could have killed as many as 200 people. A spokesman for the victims' families said the number was probably closer to 300. And if they weren't victims of Niels Hugel in those hospitals, they could have been the victims of another nurse. Tragically, Hügel is not the last German healthcare worker to endanger patient lives in order to win glory and admiration from his or her peers. In August 2019, a nurse in southwestern Germany was arrested for allegedly killing five patients. His motive appeared to be the same as Hügel's, intentionally putting patients' lives in danger so he could resuscitate them. In November 2019, a nurse in Marburg was found guilty of the attempted murder of three infants in her care. She had given them unnecessary injections so that she could show off her skills at saving them. In November 2020, a 24-year-old nurse in Munich was arrested for allegedly overdosing his patients so he could step in and revive them. And who knows how many killers went uncaught, as Niels Hugel did, for years. Niels
0: Hugel is a chilling example of what happens when the system fails. It's incredibly unfortunate that the medical environment in which Hugel found himself had a culture of not speaking up when foul play was suspected. One thing that's interesting to me about this case, Alistair, is the apparent lack of childhood trauma that we so often see in serial killers who rival Hoogle's alleged body count. Niels Hoogle is also a good reminder of how personal attention-seeking has no place in the field of health care. It's really the antithesis of the reason most people get into medicine, which is to help others. For any hospital employees listening out there, be aware and careful around any doctor or nurse who has his ego-serving streak, because as we've seen, it can lead to some pretty disastrous problems. And if you do notice anything unsavory, don't savor it, say something. Simply pointing out an oddity
2: to the people in charge could save lives and careers. As the tale of Niels Hugel warns, inaction can be lethal. Thanks for listening to Medical Murders. And thanks again to Dr. Kipper for joining me today.
0: Thank you very much, Alistair.
2: You can find all episodes of Medical Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite Spotify originals from Parcast, like Medical Murders, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Medical Murders on Spotify, just open the app and type Medical Murders in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Medical Murders is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Kristen Acevedo, Jonathan Cohen, Alexandra Trikvedortier, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Medical Murders was written by Devin Hughes, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Chelsea Wood. Medical Murders stars Dr. David Kipper and Alastair Murden.